Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. She's the CEO and founder of an organization called Universal Giving. You can check them out online, universalgiving.org. I hope you do that. She's also the uh, writer of a blog. She's a blogger. Uh, and she writes uh, Living and Giving is the title uh, of her blog where she talks more about leadership and about this whole idea of being a servant, which comes up in our, our interview. She talks a lot about uh, having your uh, finding your calling and about uh, what it means to listen and about rolling up your sleeves and, and getting involved and about how we all uh, shouldn't walk by our own story, which I think is a really interesting notion. We talk about a, a redefinition of philanthropy, actually, in, in a way, and we talk about social entrepreneurship and corporate social responsibility. So you're going to need to uh, check this interview out for sure. Pamela is, uh, as I said, the founder and CEO of Universal Giving. I think you're going to be really interested by not only the organization, but her story as well. And don't forget to uh, check out davidpecklive.com for more information about podcasts. We're now close to over 210 interviews, I think, online. If you're looking to uh, book me to speak at an event coming up soon, please uh, get in touch with me through my website. And of course, my book, Real Change is Incremental, is available. And our guest, uh, Pamela Hawley, is coming right up. Stay tuned. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by another very special guest today. Pamela Hawley is here with us. She's the founder and CEO of Universal Giving. And we're about to find out what that exactly means. Pamela, thank you so much for, for your time today. Thank you so much for having us. So tell me, tell me a little bit about, uh, I mean, obviously I want to I hear more about you and, and about why you do what you do, but why don't you give us a quick overview as founder and CEO of Universal Giving, or I guess UG. Tell us a little bit more, more about your organization. Well, we're excited to be a social entrepreneurship organization. We are a nonprofit. But we have two services, and this is important in social entrepreneurship, to be able to have a free service and to be able to generate revenue. So Universal Giving's website is like a match.com for volunteers and donors. 
people can come in and decide if they want to volunteer in Tanzania and find opportunities, or they can decide that they want to give to help um, stop a flood or the damage from a flood in Haiti. And so what you're really doing is really matching up people to giving and volunteering opportunities all over the world and creating that kind of marketplace um, that allows people to connect directly with those giving and volunteer opportunities. On the second side, what we have is Universal Giving Corporate. And what that does is go into companies, helps them with their corporate social responsibility programs. And we have companies such as Gap and BHP Billiton and Cisco. And what we do is we go in and help them with their CSR programs and vet their NGOs and disperse them to these great organizations all across the world. And we generate revenue by doing that. So, boy, just in that, that little blurb alone, I've got so many questions for you. I want to ask you about CSR and so many different things. But so, so basically what you're trying to do is you're trying to, to sort of connect individuals uh, more with, uh, would you say, um, areas of concern for them I individually or maybe as families or maybe as companies. Is that, is that, is that a fair sort of a, a assessment? Yeah, so for individuals, if you want to volunteer or if you want to donate, you can connect on Universal Giving's public website and connect up with one of our trusted NGO partners anywhere in the world. And so do you, you, you basically, you, you are sort of vetting those organizations, you come alongside them. Do you, I mean, how, how involved do you get with the NGOs around, around the world that you highlight on your site? We get very involved with them. We think it's important. We vet each one of them with a 24-stage quality model. This is a model that I came up with after volunteering and giving all over the world, and I saw organizations that were of absolute excellence, and then I saw other ones that were just, you know, not competent or didn't have enough resources or even fraud. And so we came up with a six-stage quality model. Now we have 24 stages, and we're very involved with our NGO partners. We promote them all the time. We have case studies on them, and we get to know them just like a venture capitalist would get to know their project or their deal. They don't want to just put money into it. They want to know who the people are. So we know our NGO leaders, and we love them, and we love to promote them and help them. So do you, do you yourself personally spend much time on the ground uh, alongside of these organizations, or are you, you've got other people doing that, or do you, you know, do you find a way to stay really connected, I guess, to the, to the, the boots-on-the-ground kind of an approach? Yeah, I think that, you know, I certainly did do a lot of that early on in my career. I was all over the world, and it wasn't even my career. It was just a calling. It was what was right for me to do in my life, whether it was associated with the work or not. So I've been, you know, on the ground a lot. I think a lot of our work does take place via Skype, and we don't, you know, it's not really something that you can fund having, you know, tons and thousands of people all on the ground. Mm -hmm. But we are very connected with a lot of the local leaders, a lot of the local government officials, um, the cultures, all of that. And we stay very connected, you know, via technology and where we can, we meet them on the ground. We do also have um, quarterly um, with the world live um, sessions in the Universal Giving Office. And that's where we bring in NGO leaders from all over the world. Our last one was about uh, the Armenian um, genocide in 1915. Mm. And we brought in experts from there, and they went over about how their four grandparents had survived that genocide um, with Turkey in 1915. And so, you know, to really hear those stories on the ground is absolutely important yeah, uh, to, to our to the soul of our organization. I, I would think so, yeah. It keeps you connected in so, so many ways, right? It keeps you so so much more relevant and connected to impact and, and, and efficacy and all those things. Tell me, so, you know, on you know, I've, I've read your bio, and you talk about an experience at 12, and, and I've had 
I think, I, I don't know yet, but I think I've had a few of those experiences along the way, and it's part of the reason why I do what I do. And I'd love to, to hear a little bit more about that, because I think a lot of us do, Pamela, have those kinds of experiences, but some people turn them into something else, and some people don't. <laughs> and I'm always kind of fascinated by that. What is it that drives somebody one way and somebody another? If Yeah, I think, you know, I was just thinking about this the other day, we all have so many abilities to affect the world, but we walk by it. And I call that kind of walking by your story. Mm. For me in Mexico at the age of 12, I could have walked by that. Mm-hmm. I had every right to be a scared 12-year-old, and I was supposed to be on vacation. And so I could have walked by that. And if I had and if I had ignored it, then I would definitely not be where I am today because that's really where it sparked my journey is seeing that on-the-ground poverty when I wasn't expecting to. You know, it's one thing if you're going to go in and do a service project and you expect to see it. Another thing, if you are feeling like uh, you, you're, you're taken off guard, mm-hmm. and I think that's actually the place that's great to meet because it's where you're vulnerable and you really get in touch with what your heart is, and you realize, wow, this cause is really important to me, or I'm really affected by this homeless person on the street. And so I encourage people to not walk by your story, which is if you, there's a moment in your life where it meets your heart, or something really moves you, and you want to listen to that. You want to listen to that. You want to honor that. And try to take action on it. Was it was it a person that you met? Was it a face? Was it a handshake? Was it something that was really tangible, or was it kind of witnessing sort of poverty from a distance when you were when you were? That's that's pretty young to have such an impact. Yeah, I think. Well, I think for anyone, it can be anything. It could be that your aunt has just experienced something that is devastating, um, and it's a maybe it's an illness that you want to you want to champion. Um, it could be a glimpse or a glance. For me, it was. I happened to, to glance down a cul-de-sac and saw children without legs who were begging mm-hmm. with tin cups and were unwashed and dirty. And so for me, it was literally a glimpse. I turned away from it pretty quickly. My mm-hmm. dad kind of drew me out of there pretty fairly quickly. We right. didn't really go down the cul-de-sac. It was more just a glimpse. And even that, obviously, can be super powerful. Sure. But for other people, it could be a story. It could be a relative. I mean, there's, there's really no limit. So you kind of mean, when you say walking by your story, you kind of mean those sort of almost those life-changing um, moments or, or, or meetings or, I mean, that's what it was for me. It was, uh, I was in Elder Redding in, in Kenya in 1989 and I met a man and, and it's a longer story than we have time for now, but his name was Joshua and he had a huge impact on my life. And, and I often will say that, you know, things changed completely. But if I hadn't been paying attention, if I hadn't have been listening I could be sitting in a very different place today. Yeah, I think I, I think there. First of all, I think there's multiple stories, and I think it's it, what I'm. What I think is possible for everyone is that everyone has a life calling. I think everyone has a purpose for being here, and that purpose could be very visible, and it could be something very visible within the community, or it might be something behind the scenes. But it's something that you really feel called to, and that could be you really feel called to care for pets and you're a dog walker. Mm. It could be that you start a nonprofit. It could be you're very involved in your church or you're taking care of a family member. So there's no right or wrong about it, but if there's something you really feel called to, and then that's your story. That's your reason for being. That's your life purpose. And I don't want people to walk by that. Do do you think, Pamela, I mean, in your experience after, you know, years of working with organizations and so on and connecting volunteers and, and seeing, I would imagine, donor patterns and all these things, do you think people walk by their calling? I mean, do you, th- do you think, I mean, if you believe everyone has one, and I, I tend to agree with you, do you think 
folks ignore that more often than not? I don't know if it's more often or not, but I know that it does get ignored because yeah. I think sometimes people are chasing the um, are chasing the dream of it. So you know, when I was growing up, social entrepreneurship that word didn't even exist. Right now, social entrepreneurship is like a really hot idea. People want to be social entrepreneurs. They want to you know be involved in a social entrepreneurship organization, and so sometimes they're being involved in something that seems really cool, and that is not your story. Just because it's cool does not mean it's your story. And that's where I think that that's not, that's not really listening to your story, to your heart, to your life purpose. It might be doing good, and there's nothing wrong with it, but at some point you're going to want to really drill down and find out like what, what that is. And that's really listening to your own self, mm. being in touch with your own self, and it's not um, connecting it's not connecting with everyone, uh, with, with what other people's callings are and following that. If you want to join them and that feels right for you to join them, then that's fine. But you know, you really do have to be authentic about it. It can take some soul searching, and it's not following the crowd. Do you think that? Um, do you think we like to volunteer? Do you think we we like to give? Generally speaking, I mean, obviously that's a, a, a cross a, a cultural kind of a question, I suppose, in a contextual kind of a question. Some some more than others. Um, but what, what's your sense? Um, I, well, yeah. Definitely in the U.S. we have that in our DNA. I mean, I think that what was interesting is that the U.K. at the beginning sent all the kind of ragamuffins and, like, prisoners who had just been released to America. That's exactly who kind of came over at the beginning and also with Australia. They were kind of dumped over there, and yet they had to have very pioneering spirits and be very um, frontiers-like to, to be able to make it. And that entails volunteering. You've got to be giving. You have to be giving. And so if you are giving that way naturally in your life, I mean, for sure, it's part of the DNA of America. Having said that, there are different ways to connote volunteering in other parts of the world. There absolutely are. And I do think that volunteering and giving takes place all across the world, but I think it's in many different ways and how important it is to be respectful. When you go into that other country, when you go travel abroad, to not take your American lens. Um, how one volunteers in France is very different than the U.S. A lot of um, French giving takes place through the government, through government social services. And volunteering is becoming more popular, but it's not in the DNA as it is here. And so I think, you know, if you look at Japan as well, there's an incredible sense of service. When they're in the workplace, or we have two wonderful Japanese interns right now, so service-oriented, so gracious, just lovely. Um, I don't, you know, know if they... I actually see their lives very much as volunteering because they're so service-minded. Mm, so right. I think our job is to look at giving and volunteering as just something that we all want in our lives, but it does manifest itself in different cultures in different ways. Well, I think I think we'd all be so blown away if we really knew what the stats were about, uh, you know, how much we depend on volunteers, how much we depend on community-based organizations that are, you know, surviving on next to nothing, <laughs> you know, and, and what these organizations are actually giving back to communities and to society and so on. I think I think we'd all be really surprised. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's huge what we do to help each other in this world. And, you know, I think it's one of the things that as the family at times breaks down, nonprofits play that role in spades. They're absolutely amazing about what they do to help cover for families that break down or families that don't have the resources if they have special needs kids. Nonprofits come in to swoop in and provide a glue around the family and a glue and a connector within the community Volunteers are absolutely essential to the, to the health and the effective running of, of our world, really. 
Yeah, I sometimes, you know, I teach in international development. I have students every year, about 68 of them, who come in with this, you know, they're postgraduate students who come in with a, we, we're going to change the world no matter what kind of an attitude. And it seems by the end of the program, it's a one full year program, it seems like some of that passion and energy has been squeezed out and has been replaced with a little bit of cynicism and a little bit of, wow, this, wow, we didn't know the world was you know, like this after all sort of thing. Not, not always, it's not quite that simple, but, but I just, I, I, I wonder sometimes, um, how much of that needle bends towards others and bends towards ourselves. I mean, aren't we in a constant battle with that? Wouldn't you say that whole, I'm, I'm doing this mm. for me, you know, do you know what I mean? That whole not in my, if it's not in my backyard, Pamela, I'm not interested. Well, I think fortunately with the new generation we have now, thankfully, I very much relate to them. They are about the backyard as their whole world. Mm. And I respect that, admire that tremendously. And I really appreciate it. And it's something that they look at. They want to help the world. And I myself am causeless. I came from a very loving family, and I want other people to experience that love and mm. health and harmony in whatever way that needs to take place in their lives. I think everyone's motivation is very different. Um, sure. I know that I've often heard, and, and I actually hear men say this more than, than women, but they, when they volunteer, they go, wow, that feels so good. I feel great. Right. And I, I think that they feel a sense of self-esteem and empowerment about helping others and that they feel good. And I wonder about that. I wonder, wow, did they not feel good when they were in business or did they not feel good in other areas? You know, whereas I think that women are predisposed to giving more often within their families. Maybe they're used to giving, and so when they give and volunteer, maybe it's a similar feeling. And for men, maybe it's a little bit different. So that's an example of how I think people look at it differently. Yes. Um, just because of what their life circumstances are like. But, you know, there are people who go into that and they sincerely want to do good. And what you have to couple that with is a sincere intent to listen to the people on the ground and to persevere. And I think that most people come in with all this go-getterism and all this gung-ho-ness, and that's lovely. But you got to couple that with, I'm willing to stick it out. This could be a little bit messy. This is not easy. It's going to take 16 approvals from tribes people and government people and everything all over the world, and, and it's going to take a lot of work. And if you want to do true, sincere good, it takes a lot of work mm. to roll up your sleeves. This is not just about enthusiasm, as much as enthusiasm is valued and needed. So what would you say drives uh, you, in a sense, to, to get out of bed in the morning? Is it? You know, in, in, in Bill Clinton, I don't know if you've read Bill Clinton's book, Giving, but how the subtitle of it is How Each of Us Can Change the World. And it's 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 a very good read, and it's it really is interesting. And, I mean, it's very uh, U.S.-focused, of course. It's about people giving back and, it, and so on. But he, he, there's a great line in it, and he says, Because we live, quote, in an interdependent world, we cannot escape each other's problems, close quote. And I think it's a really great place to start. The problem is I'm not sure that everybody sort of starts there. I mean, I know why I think I get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> I, mm -hmm. you know, I am about social change. I want to move the needle a little bit. I'm about the splash and ripple. Use all the cliches in the world and all the metaphors you want. But I really do believe there's this, I don't know, there's active and there's passive change. And, and, mm -hmm. and, uh, but anyway, and, and like you say, I think you're bang on about how everyone sort of brings their own context and their own, you know, life calling and so on. But, um, yeah, what, what is it for you? Is it extreme poverty? Do you want to see that? You know, is it, is it getting more people in the West on board with this idea of giving and volunteering and so on, or, or is it something else? 
for me, it's more, it definitely is the international poverty. I'm still surprised that you can have all these amazing office buildings. We're in Silicon Valley in San Francisco, and we're in these amazing office buildings, and many of them have foosball and snacks and all these mm. things. And it's, it's kind of shocking that, that even though we're working on global poverty, we're still in these, like, buildings, whereas sometimes I imagine in my mind if there was a group of African people with their faces pressed up against the window right there, right outside our office building, we would be able to keep doing our computer work helping and leveraging thousands of other people across the world to get and volunteer. But if you've got those African faces looking at you, and I think that is an image that comes to me a lot because when I was in Uganda, we would see that. You know, we would be brought in for a lunch and there would be starving people who were waiting outside um, these health clinics who were just waiting for hours for someone to see them. And so I think that for me it is a, it is the discrepancy, it is the extremity of global poverty and how um, how how deep it is and how widespread it is all across the world and that inequity that drives me but i will also say the second thing that drives me is really uh is really being a servant you know mm. i think that as a leader you have to be a servant you have to be willing to serve the people on the ground listen to them so serving and listening and that means even on my way walking to work saying hi to a homeless person that's important and then the third thing that really drives me is my team i'm always grateful for my team and I just, I always am. There are team members that just shine and are brilliant. And I had even an intern this summer, um, Allie, and she's 19 from Northwestern. And she was so positive and such a great executor. And we just had a great partnership. I hope we stay in touch for life. And when you have a team like that mm -hmm. and you have that flow, it's so lovely that it just feels like you're, it just feels like you're in harmony. So I always am always grateful for my team as well. So for me, it's extremity of poverty. It's that service-mindedness throughout every part of your life, and it's my team. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, I love the way you root it all in a, in a sense of community. It's not just your coworkers, but this is, this is a group of people that you commiserate with, that you hang out with, that you're, you're well, your team. You're, uh, uh, I would imagine there's a, there's a level of intimacy there that, that speaks volumes to not only your DNA, but, but also to the work that you guys do. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that, uh, the, 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 is the gap closing, do you think, this extreme part? I mean, I'm just back from Southeast Asia, I'm just back from uh, Cambodia, and wow, I've been working there for 13 years, the development, the cranes in the city, it looks on the, the airport is growing, I mean, on the surface it looks like everything's changing, but you don't have to go far outside of, of, of Phnom Penh to realize that that extreme poverty still is very much a serious problem in the country, access to clean water, health care, and so on. What are your thoughts? Um, is the needle moving? You know, I do. I think you have to believe that. You have to. I'm not I'm an optimist, and I'm not interested in being a pessimist. Because <laughs> if you're a pessimist, and even if you're right, that's not going to move things forward. That's right. Yes, yeah, so, so why bother, right? Well, I mean, it's like, it, look, if you are an athlete and if you're running a marathon and you're on mile 13 and you're like, gosh, I really don't think I'm going to make it. Or if you're on mile 13 and you say, gosh, this is tough and I'm going to keep trying. Or if you're on mile 13 and you say, I know I've trained. I know I'm going to keep this positive attitude. I'm not going to be listening to my body. I'm going to be listening to my spirit, to my mind. I'm going to make my goal. Those are three very different attitudes and lenses, mm -hmm. right? So let's say all three of those people finish the marathon. Even they all finish at the same time. Even if the pessimist finishes with a better time, <laughs> I'd still want to be the optimist. Because the thing is, what you're doing is you are fueling your mindset. You are fueling yourself to move forward and, and to make a difference. And when you're running, 
you will probably say to someone else, good job. You hear that all the time with marathon. Someone who is running by them will say, good job, keep it up, you can make it. And so the optimist is not just helping themselves, but they're helping others. Mm. And so there's no interest in being a pessimist. It doesn't do anything. It just tears things down. You kind of tear an organization down, tear a building down, tear whatever you want down. You're not creating anything. And I've been through, watched through enough genocide and crises to see that it seems like there's this huge destruction, but it never lasts. The flower comes up, the people are resilient. It never gets squashed. Life will never get squashed. So I am an optimist mindset to seek that to people around me. And what you're trying to do is to, to move that needle in the world. But, you know, it's not just about you just reduce this village from, like, 10 families in poverty to one family. That's part of it. But it's also how did you affect the people in the bus who drove you into those, you know, deep villages of Cambodia? You know, it's not just getting to the village and doing good. That's definitely an American mindset. Get to the village and do good. And it's not necessarily, you know, what's that flow of business that takes place on the way to the village, even at the airport when you're at the San Francisco airport. Like, this is not, I'm going to get there and do good. We don't check in and right, out of good. Right, right. It's not so dualistic. It's not so polarized. It's, it's, this is a, this is the, this is a way of, of, of being and living uh, our lives. It's not just about going somewhere else to do good. Yeah, absolutely. It is. And I think that's where you find a true, a true joy in life. And, you know, that's, I think it's a, it's a way to live that, that is positive and is like a, a soothing presence by everyone that you pass by. And so, you know, that's why I think that it's such a grand call to be a philanthropist because mm-hmm. a philanthropist is not really about money. It's about the love of people. It's about the right. caring of humanity. And so if that's the case, gosh, we've got huge jobs every day. That means being right. to the person that serves you lunch, to the dog walker. It's, we got a big job. Yeah, so I love I love how you say that really poverty is not, I mean, I'm, this is my paraphrase now, but you're saying, I think what you're saying is that poverty is not necessarily and only connected to issues of, of, of money and finance. There, it, go, it goes a little deeper than that. Much deeper, much deeper. And it isn't about finance. And really, I would say that the giver of finance is really the one who's learning the most because you learn about another culture, you appreciate um, the wisdom that is there, you know, you spoke about Cambodia, and I mean, there's such a sense of gravitas and wisdom there. When I was working at the time, it's called the Digital Divide Treaty, which is when there was people who did not access computers at all, like just nothing. Right. And so after the, you know, Khmer Rouge and the disaster there and that genocide, there was a training center set up there. And I went over there and I worked with a wonderful person named Nari Chea, who I'm still in touch with today. And she had been involved in this Digital Divide Training, and most of the people there we're learning how to do digital graphics and, and word processing and all of that on these computers. And probably about half of them didn't have limbs because they'd been blown off from the mind. Mm. And so there was a gravitas and a sense of gratitude that we often miss in developed countries, right? Yes. You've had a serious incident happen to your own life, serious incidents happen to your family, seriousness happened to your country, and now you've got an opportunity. So you take that opportunity with a whole different lens. And that preciousness, is what I look for for the people who surround me, that they appreciate what the opportunity they have just as much as we appreciate them, and that keeps that flow of philanthropy going at all moments in your organization and in your life. So this is going to seem like a silly question based on everything you've just said about being optimistic and so on, but I still want to ask it. Um, young people, the youth, the, I, have, I have a 9 and, and, a, and an 11-year-old. I'm not going to say anything more. Are you hopeful about where we're heading? 
I love all generations. I think it's such a mistake to say, oh, this generation, da 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 da. Or, you know, I, I look at it, I'm like, I relate so much to this younger generation. I was in their place where I was like dying to do something good with my life. And they are relentless about it. And I love that about them. And they're not going to wait. And in my generation more, it was, you know, when you're, when you make your fifties, then you give back. And I think it's Mm. just so powerful to see people saying, no, I'm going to start being selfless now. And that's just so exciting to see that. And so I'm very hopeful about it. I think it's wonderful. I think they're less materialistic. I think they're so open and globally connected, which we never were before, which was a very big deal. So I think that's really huge as well, too. So the fact that they're globally oriented, service-minded, very, very connected, are going to make them very, very powerful individuals in the world. My hope is what I see happen this generation is that they are not accepting of a divide. Mm. And we have a huge material divide in wealth between people and um and, and, and poverty, so like between people and wealth and people and poverty. And I hope that this generation can make a dent in that because they won't all be seeking, you know, venture capitalists, you know, investment banker status. They're going to be seeking to serve. And hopefully we're going to see a little bit more of the leveling of the playing field. And, and I think that would be lovely. And Pamela, isn't that sort of where that entrepreneurial spirit comes from? Is that sort of that, 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 that sense of um, dissatisfaction with the way things are? So if, you know, presumably the younger generation is not accepting of the divide, and I think you're right, you'd like to think that more solutions are on the way. Yes, they absolutely are solution-oriented, and they're thinking about it, and they're using the technology and the globe to do it. And that certainly is they have in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, they have an entrepreneurial mindset, not always, because entrepreneurship really is in the DNA of the individual. And I think, you know, entrepreneurship to me is more about I have a way I want to change the world. I have a way I can make something more efficient or better. It's not necessarily about philanthropy, though. I mean, you could be making an iPhone that's more efficient. And that's Mm. not right or wrong. Mm -hmm. That could be exciting. But entrepreneurship more to me is about how can I make the world more efficient or bring forth a product that is new. And so that's a little bit of a different, different view from my perspective. So, so, so then tell me, tell me what a social entrepreneur, or have you even, there's a new term that's being tossed around of, of the last couple of years, inner, have you heard the term innerpreneur? Yes, sure, entrepreneur. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, inner, I-N-N-E-R, like, oh, oh, yeah, okay. like, yeah, as if there's, um, it's almost, and I'm not even sure where I land on the distinction, I'm not, I'm not sure that it's actually taking hold either, but I think the sense, the idea is that maybe maybe from what your your perspective this idea of you know being a servant leader you know uh, grounding it in, in in a sense of love for others and a concern for others mm-hmm. i think from my perspective that would be more innerpreneurship versus entrepreneurship so yes you're still want, you want absolutely yeah i just cuz i i think this idea of social entrepreneurship and 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 social enterprise as well is so new still that in some ways that we're you know we're still trying to figure it out yeah I think I think we are. I do think that a strong definition for social entrepreneurship is you're offering something for free that can go to the world, like universal giving. People are giving and volunteering. 100% goes to the cause. You don't take a cut in the donation. And then you've got a paid service, universal giving corporate, that generates revenue. So social entrepreneurs, you could be for-profit, non-profit, a hybrid, but you've got free service helping the world, and you're also generating revenue. So I do think that social entrepreneurship in its highest level is is defined. And we mm. should drive towards that because we want to have higher standards for the services and the good we're providing for the world. 
So so we're probably going to have to wrap it up here fairly soon, Pamela, and I'd love to keep chatting more. Uh, but I do want to, before we wrap up, I'd love to ask you a little bit about the, the corporate side of the work that you guys do, you know, the CSR uh, programs and so on. To, to, uh, I mean, are we in a good place there? I mean, it, it sounds like from your perspective, we certainly are, that more companies are, are in tune with this idea of what it means to be, you know, responsible global citizens and responsible corporate citizens. But what's what's your sense about what's happening in that, that, that landscape? You know, I love what's happening in corporate social responsibility. I'd say 20 years ago, it was a little bit more of, I'll do it, maybe. <laughs> right. I think now companies are realizing that there's business imperatives behind it. It is going to give me positive brand shine. My employees will stay with me longer. My employees feel good about my company. Um, Entry-level employees, seriously, many times just won't join a company unless you have something like that. Right. And so they realize that, boy, they better have it. However, having said that, once you do start volunteering and giving, it absolutely does affect your heart. Mm. It does. Mm. And it affects your heart. And what happens is, is you get this amazing sense of like warmth and positivity. You want to keep doing it more and more. And so a driver for um, people understanding that, that it's not just about, you know, I have to do this as a company. But when people start to do it more and more, they feel like they want to do it more and more. So I think it's very legitimate. I think it's business legitimate. And I also think it's becoming internal legitimate. Yeah, you say so. You 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 feel that as you start to, it's almost as if you have to say yes, and then you will start to be drawn in a little bit more on a on an emotional level as well, and maybe maybe even spiritual level. Uh, there'll be a sense of connectedness to to not only the people but to the issues in a in a much more hmm, what's the word I can use here comprehensive maybe or a holistic yeah. way. Yeah, I don't I don't think you can go in and serve at a homeless shelter and do that, you know, three times a year and not think about some story or not connect with a person's eyes who are a bloodshot across the table from yours or mm. not look at the homeless person as you serve them a meal. Somehow, kind of at the beginning of the, of the podcast, which is you're gonna, maybe you're going to find your story and you weren't planning mm, on it. Maybe yeah. you're the CEO of a company and you go in and you serve a meal and you actually take a moment to be affected looking in that person's eyes, seeing your wrinkled hands and their dirty fingernails and the sense of homelessness that they've been living in. And it's kind of hard to turn away from that. And it's hard to turn away from if you have a family. It's hard to turn away from if you have younger children in your life. You don't want that to be their lives moving forward. So I think what happens is that when we're exposed to that and our heart opens to it more and we're more receptive to being more compassionate individuals, doesn't necessarily mean that someone all of a sudden becomes an Uber volunteer, right. but they definitely become more compassionate and more loving around them. Well, how can it not change you in some way, right? Right. Yeah. So just as we wrap up, Emma, tell me about your blog. So yeah, it does, sounds like you probably don't have a whole lot of spare time, and yet and yet you have a blog, um, Living and Giving, um, PamelaHolly.wordpress.com. Is that the best way for people to find it? Yeah, that's that's the blog, and then Universal Giving is universalgiving.org. Right. So on, on, let me guess, you talk about leadership, you talk about CSR, you talk about giving and volunteering on your blog as well. That's what you're doing there. You're unpacking other people's stories. Yes, absolutely. I think for that's really about the stories and the heart about being a good leader and being a leader of excellence and leading with warmth and leading with goodness and 
giving people opportunity and, and leading with that heart. And, and to me, we're all leaders. Mm. I don't care what age you are, what position in life you're in. It doesn't matter. You are, everything you say today affects someone else. Mm. Every single body movement, whether it's positive or challenging, every word, every glance, it affects people. So therefore, we are all leaders because we're all affecting people every day. And leaders affect people. And so, you know, to me, Living and Giving, which is the name of the blog, is really about helping people live and give in a way that's meaningful and kind and warm and forgiving and being open. You know, I think it's super important. It's one of the most important qualities um, is to be able to have that, is to be able to have that warmth and that expectation of good with everyone that you meet, no matter what the circumstance is. Wow, I don't. I, I think that's a great place to to kind of uh, come full circle. I think that uh, I think I'm going to challenge my listeners to to find out more about about what you you're doing personally through your blog, but also uh, universalgiving.org. That's exactly how it sounds, folks. Universal, and then the word giving.org. Pamela, um, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate your 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 thoughts and. And and really interesting too, this whole notion of walking by your story. I'm I'm, I'm I want to reflect more on that, and maybe maybe down the road we can do uh, we can do a part two together. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. That'd be really great. Yeah, and I just encourage you know all your listeners, which is you know don't walk by that story. Something moves your heart, and it's time to take action. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>